I'm so excited you decided to take the time to listen to Creatives Talk. My name is Eric Humphrey, and on this podcast, I get the chance to speak with some of the most interesting, inspiring people I've worked with and been mentored by. I hope you enjoy. All right, I'm really excited to be here with Marcus Smith in Chicago at his beautiful home. I've known Marcus for, what has it been, like four or five years now? Yeah, probably about that long, yeah. And uh, I actually met him at his old place in Chicago, outside of the coffee shop through a mutual friend, Elton. And uh, we just clicked, and every time he comes to LA, we try to connect. And so when I come to Chicago, I try to connect with him. So I'm glad to be sitting here and hopefully uh, to learn even more about Marcus through this conversation. Tell me how you initially got into like a creative lifestyle. Ooh, creative lifestyle. You know, normally people ask about how I got into photography, but yeah, creative lifestyle makes it a little bit different. Um, I would say that I started down the path of a creative lifestyle like really, really early because my mom was, is actually, she doesn't, she's not a creative person by profession, but she's actually like a really creative person just by her own sort of like things that she does. You know, I remember when I was a kid, she used to write a lot and she used to write a lot of poems and like write a lot of songs and stuff like that. So like she was sort of like the start of me expressing myself creatively through little things, you know, like coloring and drawing and like uh, eventually getting into music as I got older. Uh, so like I would say that I've been living a creative lifestyle for a pretty long time since I was like a young kid. And so it's, it's interesting you brought that up because I read that when you were young, your mom used to babysit and there was a, a kid that could draw really well and you would try to draw and would get really frustrated. Yeah. Can you just kind of expand on that? Yeah. So like I had I had a pretty unique situation in the sense that I grew up around a lot of older kids uh, because of the fact that my mom was like one of the older teenagers or whatever in the neighborhood. And so like. Uh, once she had me, uh, she was still like babysitting and stuff like that for a lot of the other parents. So um, I was around uh, a lot of other kids that were like sometimes six, seven years older than me. And this kid in particular, uh, his name was Eric. He was like, you know, maybe about seven years older than me. He could like just draw super well. Like I'm talking about like anything in his head or whatever, he can basically draw it out and it would be almost like comic book quality. Oh, wow. Uh, he was kind of like the first person that I had saw that was doing something like that. Me just being like kind of like a naturally competitive person. Like I wanted to do what he was doing, but obviously I'm, you know, five or whatever, and he's 13, 12, 13. And so like I'm measuring myself against him. And obviously I can't, you know, do what he can do. So I used to just like try to, I, he would draw something, then he would give it to me. And then I would try to like redraw it, you know, on my own. And I would just get like furious if I could, <laughs> if like not, it would, it would, no matter how hard I tried, it just wouldn't come out the same as what he had done. So I used to just like get so mad. I would just start crying and balling up paper and throwing pencils <laughs> and all that. And then, you know, that was kind of like my first lesson of my mom, you know, telling you, telling me 
like those like things that you hear about how you can't give up, how you can't quit in the middle of stuff. You got to keep going, this and that, you know, so that kind of that experience kind of led me to those uh, conversations, those first conversations like that with my mom. So then this competitiveness, where do you think that came from? Did you see it in your household or was it just innate? I think it was a little bit of both. I didn't, I was the only child, so I really didn't have anybody to compete with. But I think it was an, an innate thing just because my mom is like highly competitive like that. Like she was a tomboy when she was a kid. So she after one point, she used to tell me stories about how she used to wrestle. And she was she had got to the point where she wouldn't even like wrestle or fight with girls anymore <laughs> because she thought it was too easy. You know, so she would go and she would be wrestling and fighting with boys her age and stuff just because it was fun. You know, that to me is like a competitive nature, you know, to want to do something like that, to push yourself. I eventually took that on, you know, with just being competitive, even with myself and then, you know, doing it in a friendly way with others when it came to like stuff like art and academics and all that stuff. So you have this creative itch that you're scratching as a child. Is this something that did you go like to school for the arts? Was this something you pursued through high school and through college or? No, for me, it was something that was always just in in my house pretty exclusively. It was never really like pursued on the academic level or with school. It was just something that I was just learning through doing. So then how do you so what did you pursue in school? Um, You mean in like like so you go to high school and then you go off to college. What what do you end up pursuing? Uh, Well, high school, I just went to like a normal like they tell you what classes to take type of yeah, school. Yeah. And then for college, I, I originally went to college for, like I started out focusing in like, I, I thought I wanted to be a lot of things when I was growing up. So like I started out thinking I wanted to be like a doctor or something like that. So I started out in like biochemistry or something <laughs> crazy like that. I took like one class in college and I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I got you. <laughs> and then I ended up doing like business, uh, econ uh, in the business school. So, uh, and that's what I ended up graduating with my degree in from University of Illinois. So you said, what made you depict econ versus an arts program? Um, because, because this is what I feel. I feel like when you grow up a certain way, uh, like I did, like I grew up, you know, I don't want to say poor, but definitely like lower middle class kind of. My mom didn't make a lot of money when we were growing up. So I feel like when you grow up like that, you have certain pressures to want to pursue a career that has certain guarantees as far as like uh, money and security. And you get that through something like being a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, you know, a lot of those like more uh, quote unquote safe sort of uh, career paths. And so that's what that's where I was when I decided to go to college. It was more so me focusing on something where I knew I could have a secure future versus something uh, that that feels a little bit more like a gamble, like art, you know, or or music or something like, you know, I had dreams of wanting to be a music producer or whatever, you know, like those things kind of got sidelined for something that was a little bit more secure at the time. Wow. I mean, I totally understand what you're saying because that was kind of, 
that's the story I hear a lot. I mean, that was my story. Like, take the the safe, secure path. I guess after you graduate, what made you? What was the shift like? Did you go off and work in corporate? Did you take that safe job, or did you do something else? So the shift that happened was that leading up to college, I was like I said, I was always into like art stuff, but it was always like a side thing. It was never the main thing that I was doing. Uh, so like leading up to college. I did all the art stuff, but I was still very focused on my uh, education and academics and stuff like that. And my mom was too. That's how we end up with me focusing on the, the, the business stuff. I graduate and I'm on that path through college, but through the middle of college, I found photography and I got really into it. And by the end of college, my heart was in photography but my mind was whole, wholly into like the idea of like, man, I need to get to this money. You know, I was almost about to. I had an interview with Procter and Gamble to be like an entry level, like financial analyst or something like that for them. And like just being there and going through that process kind of showed me even more so that I did not want to do that. That's not what I wanted to do with my life. And that's not how I wanted to spend my time. And then when I came back, they flew me out to uh, wherever their home, their base is. I think it's in Cincinnati. I flew out there and then I came back home and I told I'm talking to my mom about it and telling her like how I felt and this and that. And then she like surprised me and was like, you know, you should probably, you should, you know, think about pursuing the whole photography thing. Cause I know that's what you've been getting into. And that's what you've been, that's all you've been talking about. You know, you should pursue that and see where it takes you. And then if it, you know, if it becomes a dead end for you or whatever, you have your business degree now and you could always come back to that and pursue that afterwards. So that's kind of the path that I followed. And it kind of just it led me to where I am now. Uh, I just never got back to I never needed to go back. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So what were the things you saw when you went on that interview with Procter and Gamble that made you realize that this isn't what you wanted? Man, it was a it was almost like a guy sent sort of story that happened there. When I was there, I, they set me up with two different sort of like hosts. They set me up with one that was an older woman that had been with the company for just guessing 20 years or something like that. Then they set me up with a younger host that had just started with the company maybe for like a year. Okay. The first night that I was there, the older host like took me to dinner and that's talking to me about the company and her time being there. And she she said to me, you know, they call this place the golden handcuffs because, you know, once you once they get you in, you never want to leave because, you know, you get the insurance package, you get the the uh, the salary, you get the stock options, you get all this stuff that just makes it super difficult for you to ever want to leave the company. And she said to me, I can't remember what business it was that she said that she wanted to start when she first got there. Uh, but she said, I wanted to start this business when I first got here. And my plan was to save up and like come here, save up enough money and then leave and then go start my business. And it's been X amount of years and I'm still here. That's why they, later, call, that's why they call it the golden handcuffs. That was her big thing. Oh, wow. And she she was she didn't mean it as a negative thing. She mostly meant it as like a positive to be like, look how great it is. You mm -hmm. know, I was it's so good that 
I've been here so long and I'm still happy. You yeah. Know? Well, fast forward to the next day and I had a lunch thing with the younger host. The younger host, by the middle slash end of our sort of like lunch thing, she goes, you know, I really want to be a, a, a wedding planner. But my whole thing, my whole plan is to, you know, just stay here for the five years until my Save stock options and stuff, my <laughs> stock options and stuff mature <laughs> and I can leave and I can take that money and start my event planning business or whatever. And I was just like, whoa, I just met you last night. I uh-huh. met the older you last night. <laughs> And so I was just like, man, I, it gave me something to think about because I was like, is that going to be me? Is that going to be me that's going to come here thinking like I'm going to make this money right now? But my photography, I'll just do that on the side and I'll get back to that later. And then eventually, you know, I'll I'll be able to do that when I when I get a chance to. And I was like, is that going to be something that's going to end up being for me? Just like this thing that I table for the next 15 or 20 years. And then by time. Uh, you know, I get back to it. It's like too late. I was sort of like shook by that whole experience. And so I told my mom about that and she was, you know, she said what she said. And then it was just like, you know, it was history from there. So then just going back to you said halfway through college, you found photography. Can you kind of tell me what happened that led you to discovering this passion for photography? Really with the photography thing, with discovering it, it really was just kind of like an unplanned sequence of events i you know i had a computer i had like somebody sent me a bootleg copy of photoshop (laughs) i didn't know what to do with it so i just kind of just had it on my computer for months and then uh finally like somebody you know at my graduation party or whatever you know two years prior when i you know graduated from high school somebody gave me like a, a a little like digital camera or whatever it was like a 50 dollar like kodak camera or something like that it's like two megapixels (laughs) you still got the camera no i don't have it i don't know what happened to that camera but that was i i found it buried in like a bunch under a bunch of other stuff in my dorm room and was like i guess you need pictures for photoshop and and so I like took a picture of something and then I started playing around with it in Photoshop, adding little like goofy effects to it and stuff. And that kind of like started me down a path of like just taking pictures of like friends and stuff like that. Facebook was just getting started. So I was taking pictures of friends mm-hmm. and making fun of them on Facebook, like doing, you know, putting their pasting their heads on other stuff and like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing that. And then like that was like the mixtape era. So like. You know, I started playing around with Photoshop, with making like my own mixtape covers and stuff like that. You know, it was just doing like fun stuff. You know, it really didn't have like an end use or like really like a serious thing, you know, for it. It was just me messing around and just doing something. I didn't I was just me like kind of like it was like a new version of what I was doing with drawing and coloring and all that. It was kind of like an updated version of that just on the computer. So I was doing that. And then ironically enough, the ideas that I would have for like the little goofy Photoshop stuff I was doing, I started to be like, man, I need a better picture of this thing that I want to put in this whole thing that I'm making. Uh-huh. And so I would that's how I found the camera. 
Gotcha. And then because back then camera phones weren't a thing then, yep. you know, so like then I found the camera and then from there I needed better and better pictures of certain stuff that I wanted to use. And then I had a friend that started, you know, rapping and stuff. And so then I was like, man, I need a better picture to do pictures for him. So I started to just get good at it, you know, through like messing around and Eventually, I got to the point where I was just like, I want. I, I, my birthday was coming up. My twenty first birthday was coming up, and I like asked my mom. I was like, Yeah, I'll, you know. She asked me like, What you want? Give me something you want for your birthday. And I was like, Man, I want. I really want like a better camera. That was what I got. My mom surprised me. Got me like a DSLR camera for my twenty first birthday. It was like a really entry level camera, like a Nikon D forty or something like that. And that was the first camera that I kind of like started really learning like the technical parts of photography on, like aperture, shutter uh-huh. speed, ISO, all that stuff. I had no idea what that was before that. And then I started getting into it with that with that camera. So back then, like, how did you learn? Was like YouTube a thing or I don't know, was YouTube have big tutorials back then? or No, I really didn't use YouTube a lot. I don't think YouTube was it as pop it was definitely popular and a thing back then but it wasn't like where it is now blogs were big oh, okay. back then so like blogs and message boards were big back then way bigger than youtube so like you had to read <laughs> you know so i was i was reading stuff i was reading stuff and just through like doing it you know just like i wonder what this do and then just taking a ton of pictures and just figuring it out through like putting it together through the logical steps of like, if I go to higher ISO, that made it brighter. If I took it down, that made it darker. Mm-hmm. If I change this, that does that. You know, if I have my shutter speed too low, then everything is blurry, you know? So like, I started just learning through just this having it all the time and practicing and then reading. And then like, what I would do is take the camera out, shoot, something would happen. And then I would, when I brought it back, something would happen when I would look at the file and be like, man, why is it like that? And then I would, it would force me to have a question that I would end up Googling. And then I would read this mountain of information about that and be like, oh, okay. So that's why that, that one's like super grainy, but this one's not, you know? Yeah, yeah. So like, it was just like, you know, doing it like that. Oh, wow. Okay. So now... You you found photography as a passion. You've got a, a Nikon. You go up to this interview, you realize this isn't for you. Did you have an understanding of like what a career in photography looked like or what it could be? No, I didn't because I didn't know anybody that was a photographer. I didn't know what a photographer actually meant. In my limited idea of what a photographer was, I thought in his most glamorous state, it was you photographing celebrities for a magazine. That's what I thought was like the end all be all uh-huh. of photography. Like, oh man, if you can photograph like, I don't know, like Derrick Rose or something for like a cover of a magazine, then you must, you you made it. Yeah. And I didn't have any concept of how much money you were getting paid to do that or what the ins and outs of the business were. I just, I didn't really know. It was really was just like a love thing. It had nothing to do with money because I had no idea what that part of it was like. So, but let me understand, you are you go to college and you pursue the degree in economics and you know, like coming from your situation growing up that you need a career and you want to be secure and make money. 
but then you fall in love with photography and you have no idea how you're going to survive monetarily. Right. What makes you even decide, like, I'm going to pursue this photography versus going the monetary route? Well, because, again, it goes back to, like, the encouragement from my mom. Like, without her encouragement and her cosign, then I would have never done it. I would never pursue photography as a career. But she co-signed and was like, you know, and just gave me the peace of mind to to go go forward with that idea of pursuing photography as a career. And with her doing that, she she was the one that was the catalyst for the thinking of like, we are not the type of people that are going to let fear drive us. You know, fear is not something you make decisions because of. And that's essentially what you're doing. If you say, well, I really want to do X, but I'm going to do Y because because I just know that that's more safe. You know, it's really because you're just scared of the outcome of following X. You don't know. And that's what it is that's stopping you from doing it. You know, and her cosign was no. You're going to do X because that's what you want to do. You're not going to be driven by the idea of not like the idea of being scared away from that because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, that's not how you live a fruitful life. You know, you don't make decisions like that. So that's how, you know, that's that was, uh, you know, essentially how I ended up, you know, sort of making that decision. So you speak a lot about your mom and she sounds like an amazing woman that's been a huge influence on your life. Can you just tell me, just speak to like this level of relationship you have with your mom? Uh, yeah, like we talk, we talk pretty much every day, like every other day or whatever. And it usually involves some type of life stuff. I mean, me, you know, now as an, as a, uh, you know, a fully independent adult, you know, the, the conversations range from like taxes to like, you know, business decisions to like, you know, uh, other life stuff, you know, how, how you, uh, you know, how I'm going to raise my kids and the things we're going to talk about. So it, you know, um, those are just like the conversations that we have now. So how did you, you know, a lot of kids, depending on how they grow up, rebel against what their parents want from them and they don't necessarily their parents have an influence on them but they don't necessarily listen to them as well do you feel like how has your relationship with your mom helped you in your career and just you as a man in general you know for me I for some reason I don't know why I can't even answer it but uh, for me, I was just like a naturally sort of like obedient kid. Like, a, a, you know, of course I had the like small things of like, you know, that me and my mom fought about that I didn't want to do, you know, or the things that she said to me that at the time didn't make sense to me. But, you know, it did as I got older. Of course, we had the little small tips about that. But for the most part, I kind of just like went along with her plan. You know, I kind of just like uh, surrendered and was like, all right, if you saying that this is going to work and we need to do this like this, then cool. 
as far as like how it's affecting me today, like I find myself saying like the a lot of the stuff that she was saying to me, you know, when I was a kid and I was like, man, I'm not trying to hear that. Like <laughs> it was all still, my mom said a lot of the same stuff all the time. Like literally it was like, she was echoing it all the time. Like I got so tired of hearing certain stuff. I knew what she was gonna say half the time. Okay. And now I'm saying it. You know, when if I'm talking to a kid and I'm giving advice, or if I'm even giving advice to another uh, adult, you know, I'm saying a lot of the stuff that she was saying because it's stuff. It works, man. It's like it's stuff that's true. Like, you know, you can't get away from it. You know, it's just real. So, what's some of the biggest advice that your mom has kind of instilled in you? One of them I mentioned earlier. You know, about the fear thing. Uh, when it comes to my life in general, I kind of live my life like that. You know. I have like a tattoo on my arm right now that says leap and the net will appear. And that whole quote is about that, you know, not being afraid ever. You know, if you had a faith and make the jump, then something will be there to catch you. You know, it is rooted, though, first of all, in having the skill set to be able to land on your feet. If you work on that skill set to do that, then you know, you don't re- you don't really have anything to be afraid of, you know, but that's one of them is that. And then another thing that she used to tell me a lot that I think I use basically every day was that there is a difference between being smart and intelligent and being smart, you know, is about having a lot of information. That's a lot of people in the world that are smart people. They got a lot of information in them. But then like intelligence is knowing how to take that information and apply it in like a useful or practical way. You know, I'll tell you right now, I'm not always the smartest guy in the room. You know, it's plenty of people that I can acknowledge at all times that that have more information than me. But I am I, I do think that I am on the higher side of being intelligent as far as like being able to take the information that you have, take the information this other person have and kind of put that all together in a way that I can mix it up and use it to get me from where I'm trying to get where I might be now to where I'm trying to go in the future, you know, and that to me is like a super important skill to have. Nice. All right. So I want to take us back to to like your journey after deciding that you're not going to pursue a job at P&G and now you're going to pursue photography, like, what does that next step look like? Do you just go off and say, all right, I'm going to be a photographer or? Well, no. First, the first step was um, I started the research of photographers um, in Chicago uh, that I could reach out to and start to get sort of like mentorship from. Um, and one of those people that sort of like answered that call and is still like a good friend of mine today is this guy named Parrish Lewis. He was sort of like one of the, at the time he was like doing what, you know, like I said, what I thought the end all be all photography was. He was shooting celebrities, actors, actresses, athletes, all of that stuff in Chicago. And I reached out to him uh, just on a whim of like, hey, you know, like I'm a kid in Chicago trying to get, you know, started in photography, you know, just want to know if I could talk to you, you know, about it, about, you know, the business and stuff. And he kind of like, you know, as busy as he was, he was like, he answered that, that call or that email and, you know, set that up to happen. 
And he even like when I got ready to go to photography school and everything, the biggest thing that he did was he flew out uh, to Boston to visit the school with me and my mom and everything. Oh, wow. So like he became really like a real mentor for me at the time. And like I said, now we're still really close and tight, you know, so he's kind of like I don't have any siblings, but I would consider him like an older brother to me. So, yeah, um, that was the first step. And so then you go to, you decide to go to school in Boston. Yeah. Well, two hours outside of Boston, the school called Hallmark Institute of Photography. It was in uh, Western Mass in a small town, Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. And so while you're at Hallmark, you end up meeting Gary Land. While I was at Hallmark, I met Gary Land like the third week of being there. He was like the first speaker at the school. They had a speaker every two or three weeks or whatever that would come in do the whole, like, speak to us about photography. We could ask them questions and stuff like that. And uh, I met him, you know, within that third week of being at the school and uh, just kept in touch with him through, like, email. And uh, eventually um, he asked me to, like, go on a photo shoot uh, with them just to, like, see what advertising shoot was like. It was, like, my first experience being in that environment uh, was when when he did that. And then from I've spent a week with him and his crew, traveled to Charlotte. We did a shoot for NASCAR. Then we traveled back to Boston and did a shoot at his at his at a studio for I forget what uh, what brand we did the shoot for uh, back in Boston. But we did another shoot back in Boston. And then at the end of that week, he kind of was just like, man, like, you know, I really like you know, I jumped, I actually jumped in. I didn't just like hang out. You know, I kind of just like jumped in and was like an extra assistant or whatever. I was helping out with the assistant stuff. I was helping out a little bit with the with the digital tech stuff. And uh, yeah, at the end of the week, he kind of was just like, man, I love how you work. You know, you got along with everybody. Like I thought, you know, maybe you might not be as nice as you like seemed in the email or whatever. <laughs> like you might not be as cool. It's like, but everything checked out. He was like, man, I, I really don't normally do this, but if you down, like, you want to, you know, continue working with us, you know, you enter, you you down and move to Boston. He was like, after you get out of school, then I got, a, I got a spot for you. You know, I got a job for you, full-time job for you with me. So. Well, so let me ask, like, you, you mentioned when you first decided that you were going to pursue photography, you reached out to the big, a bunch of photographers in Chicago. And then when you got to school in Boston, you reached out to Gary after he came and spoke. Like what even gave you the the drive and initiative to reach out to these people? Because a lot of times, you know, we come in contact with people all the time. Not everybody actually follows through and reaches out. Like, why do you think you did that? Well, because leading up to that, I just had, I had been in situations where I learned the power of network. You know, I just learned, you know, nobody's going to give you anything if you don't ask for it, you know. So, like, I had already had the skill of, like, just knowing how important it was to do that. And then also mixed with me just being myself. You know, with Gary, it was just a me being myself thing. It wasn't really even like a reaching out because I wanted something or whatever. Like, it was just us connecting over, like, stuff that wasn't even photography related. And then from there, he he kind of was the one that initiated the photography conversation and decided to make it about that. 
and kind of pulled me into it. And then I kind of just like took advantage of it. But in the beginning, it was really just like, man, I'm we were talking about music. We was talking about like other stuff through email. Like it really wasn't like a type. We just got along as people. And then I guess my other question, why you were in school in Boston? What do you think some of the biggest things you learned um, over that time? Really? Okay. So like the thing with sound it sounds bad but the thing with school is that I don't think the school really taught me the things that I probably that are separating me now to make to put me where I am now I really think that because I knew by the time I got there I have I had like done so much learning on my own within the technical side of photography I think I knew a lot but I will say that the time there what it really did do for me is that it gave me an opportunity to really focus on my skills at the times that I wasn't in class and all of that. I wasn't like partying and messing around. I really was like, you know, I would even decide like, man, this class, I don't think this class is worth it, worth my time or whatever. And I wouldn't go. But if I didn't go, I wasn't just like in the house, like watching sports center or whatever. Like I was in the house, like practicing my retouching or you know, practicing, you know, some other part of photography. Like I was really putting in work even at the time, like just because I had that free time yep. to really be 100% focused on that. And that year that I was there was really the only time leading up to then that I had an opportunity to 100% put all my energy into photography. Yeah. You know, before that, I was doing it with combined with being in school for business. So I was doing it in my spare time, yep. you know, uh, in addition to studying for my my exams and like going to class and all that stuff. Uh, but being in school in Turner's Falls, it wasn't a lot to do there, you know, cause it was such a small town. So really I was kind of just like forced to like really focus in on, on photography and trying to figure out what I wanted to say with that and what I wanted to focus on. like what my style was, et cetera. Like, so I spent a lot of time doing that reading, spent a lot of time reading up on uh, photography, studying pictures and whatnot. I spent just like countless amounts of hours at that time building like a bookmark folder with photographer websites in it and reading blogs from photography consultants and art buyers and all that. Like I just spent so much time like just devouring all the information I could possibly find about photography. So would you say it's an obsession at that time? Yeah, because I have a I have a obsessive personality when I get into something. Like when I'm really into something, then I go deep in it. You know, uh, it consumes my everything. Like when it comes to like information and hobbies and stuff. It becomes more than a hobby for me. And that goes with everything that I, I've ever done. You know, it's like that. Wow. It, so take me to, so now you finish the program, Gary's offered you a job, you go and assist for him. And what you spend, I think two years assisting. Yeah, two and a half years. Two and a half years. So over that time working with Gary, what were some of the biggest things you learned that you still carry with you to this day? Man, from Gary, Gary was Gary was fun, man. But the thing that I learned, the, the biggest thing I learned from Gary was like how to sell myself. Like Gary is like a master salesman, <laughs> you know, like he can he can really talk his way in or out of anything, you know. 
so like I watched him do some things where like, you know, he would be on the phone, you know, on a creative call or whatever. He would totally give the impression that he knew exactly how we needed to do something or whatever. And then right after the call, be like, oh, man, how how are we about to do that? (laughs) You know, and then we would figure it out. We always figured it out. Yeah. You know, and but I learned how to do that from him. You know, how to stay cool under pressure, basically. Like, Gary was the master at doing that. He was also a master at being able to want to do something uh, that maybe he wasn't doing at the time. And then basically figuring out how to sell himself on on being able to do that. He wanted, I want to shoot more stuff for Nike. Okay, how can I do that? I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna do this personal project on my own and I'm gonna I'm finance it myself. I'm gonna pay all this money. I'm gonna fly out to LA. I'm gonna fly the people out to LA that I need to fly out there. I'm gonna pay for the equipment, everything on my own. Even if I gotta spend $50,000, I'm gonna do it. You know, I'm not saying he spent that, but he if that was what he needed to spend, he would spend it, yeah. you know, and say, that's what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna make it back, you know? That's how that's the kind of attitude he still have today. I'm still tight with Gary. So he still have that attitude. He still does that. He wanted to do more video. He started a production company. He bought all the equipment. He bought all the lighting. He had a truck built to carry all the equipment. He started, you know, shooting videos on his own. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of just go getter hustler attitude that he had. And that rubbed off on me. I mean, I had it already. You know, for myself, coming from where I come from, I was just, you know, ready to do that, you know, but I learned how to refine it and how to aim it specifically at photography, you know, through watching him. So after learning all this, when your time ended with Gary, what did you decide to do? Did you stay in Boston? Did you come back to Chicago? Yeah, I moved back to Chicago. It was 2012 when I moved back to Chicago. And so 2012, I moved back to Chicago. I had been spent, I had spent the last two and a half years in Boston, living on my own, having my own apartment. Uh, I had to move back to Chicago, like with my mom and like had to get like, my mom owns a nonprofit here in Chicago. So like I worked for her uh, doing accounting and like marketing stuff for them during the day and then focusing on my photography at night, you know, trying to get that off the ground, you know, and that was kind of like the, the hustle of like starting from scratch with my photography business uh, back then. Wow. And so I know personal projects have always been something that's very important to you. And I know your first personal project that I really understand that really made waves was when you shot Simi in high school back mm-hmm. when Jabari Parker was there and you made a book and set that out. So can you speak to me about just like, the importance of personal projects to you and how you have benefited from doing them. Yeah. So personal projects for me, like I said, go back to like my days with Gary and watching him do personal projects and use them as a a way to sell itself. And so like, that's how I decided that I was going to get into sports was like, if I wanted, if I wanted to, to do that, then I figured that I needed to do it on my own and show people what I had to offer. That was, you know, I won't, I don't want to say better, but just uh, different than what was being offered at the moment. So a lot of what was popular at the time 
that I was sort of like trying to get into photography or into the business of photography was that uh, the shiny sort of like very lit composite style sports advertising stuff. That's what was really popular back then. Uh, obviously, you know, for me starting out, I didn't have access to all the lighting and and stuff like that that it would take to kind of do that. So I kind of went in the direct opposite direction. I kind of just did like some documentary style stuff where I just followed the team and just shot, you know, and then just gave it like a cool, like color treatment and kind of just was, it was just an honest raw look at a basketball team. And I kind of just put it together in like a little art book that I sent out to the few people that I had knew that I had met from when I was working for Gary that worked at ad agencies and somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody eventually hit me up. The job was about, you know, starting, helping Jordan brand start their Instagram account. Oh, wow. And that was like my first avatar ad job was that was doing that. And so since then, I mean, you shot, for so many people, you shot for Nike several times. You shot for Jordan Brand. You shot the retirement images of Kobe Bryant. You shot uh, LeBron's return to Cleveland stuff. You shot for Beats. You shot for Adidas. Like your career, and it was this 2012 when you did the Simeon Project? Yeah, yeah. So from 2012, fast forward now, I mean, you just did a national commercial with New Era and you've done work with Abercrombie and Fitz. How do you see, like, what has happened over these last six years that separated you and propelled you to the place that you are now? Man, that's a tough thing to answer because I always feel like separation, like, makes it seem like I possess something that others don't. And I don't think that's true. I just want to say it's just been a blessed situation that I've been able to continue to connect with people that see something in me that makes them want to continue to work with me. I really can't put a finger on what I could say that I'm doing that, you know, would would make them choose me over somebody else because I just do me, you know. And it's just a natural thing. Like, I just try to be as 100% me as possible and try to just be as honest with people as possible and just, like, keep it, like, 1,000% real, you know? And those are the kind of just the things that I do, you know, even when I'm on a creative call or whatever, you know, it's just always being clear, concise, and honest with my clients and, you know, trying to get in what, what my vision for the project is. So in a world where there's so much noise and so many things coming at us to influence us, how do you find a way to stay true to yourself? And then expanding upon that, like when you're on creative calls and the client has a vision that may necessarily doesn't always align with your vision. How do you steer that vision back to align with with what you envision? Well, With being connected, that's hard, you know, trying to get away from all the influences because, you know, even like now, now, even more so than in the in the past, when I first started with photography, we got we've been introduced to Facebook It's become like a huge thing now. Instagram, obviously, is the most is the probably the biggest change, you know, from a visual standpoint, because you see so many images now, whereas before you I had to go 
in order to see as many images as I see now, I had to go to all these individual photographers' websites deliberately, yeah. you know, to do it. But now, you know, you just open up the app on your phone and, like, you know, you literally see, like, thousands of images every day, you know. So I get that part of it. And the, the honestly, the way that I deal with it is is really simple. It's just by disconnecting. Like, I just don't. <laughs> I just try to have time where I'm just not on those platforms and I'm not spending a lot of time on those platforms and I'm just like living my life, you know? I don't make that the end all be all of like my photography or my career. I'm not necessarily like real concerned with how many followers I have. Like I kind of, and I'm not real concerned with like trying to follow like the algorithm and like trying to post at the right time or if people are going to like this or that, you know, I try not to be, you know, as concerned about that. So I can, I, I try to just do what innately I think is cool, you know, and then it, sometimes it lines up with what a lot of other people think is cool. Sometimes maybe it doesn't. And so that's how I handle that. And, but then when it comes to like aligning myself with, you know, something from a creative standpoint that the client may want, but maybe I don't, you know, I kind of have realized that with within it, you know, I've learned to separate art and business. You know, some some projects are about art, some projects are about business. So, you know, and I, I kind of go into it, kind of categorizing one or the other. If it's more business, then I don't have an issue with doing what I need to do to give the client what they want. You know, as long as it's not destroying my integrity or my reputation or making me feel bad, then, you know, I do what I have to do. Now, if it's a project that's a, that's a more so about art, then, yeah, I will have maybe a more intense attitude when it comes to like aesthetics or the details, you know. So and so like every project just has its its thing that makes it what it is. So I kind of like am able to determine that based off the brief and based off the conversation that we have on the phone, et cetera, you know, and uh, I kind of just approach, approach it like that. And so over these six years, I mean, you've worked on everything from editorials to large scale commercial campaigns and everything in between from the photo shoots to Instagram campaign. I'm sure you face different challenges along the way. Will you say some of the biggest challenges you face and what did you learn from them? I would say the biggest challenge that I faced early on was probably like dealing with the idea that like there's not a lot of black representation in the advertising world. Thinking that like, do I shoot too many black people or do I shoot enough white people or whatever? You know, that was something that I dealt with a lot in the beginning, you know, just thinking like, am I going to be accepted, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm shooting, you know, these people or that people. And that was something I just had to overcome and just be like, you know, it is what it is. And I'm not going to, you know, let that be a deterrent for me. Um, I would say that was probably like one of the biggest things early on that I kind of dealt with. And how did you how did you end up dealing with that? Because I know that's something that that I had that conversation with a lot of different black photographers, working photographers, where you feel like, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be 
just looked at, at this well, as this one thing. I dealt with it by ignoring it. Yeah. I just said, I just said to myself, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. If I put to, when I put a book together now, I don't, that used to be a thing. Like, I would put the book together, my my portfolio or whatever, and I would flip through it and be like, man, there's so many black people in this book. Do I need more white people in here? Are people going <laughs> to look at this, take it serious? If it's not, you know. But now, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think about that. I didn't think I didn't think about it for a long time where I just shot what I wanted and I just did it how I wanted. If it was a good shot, it was a good shot. And I just put it in a book and I didn't keep count. I just because I can't burden myself with like what other people are going to think and how they're going to react because those people are who they are. You know, you know, rather than trying to guess about that, I just did, you know, did my thing based off of aesthetics and not cultural biases, you know? <laughs> and so the other question I have, so from when you started shooting, and I don't want to like reference 2012 really, to now, has your aesthetic evolved and does it continue to evolve? And if it does, like what drives that evolution? Yeah, it, I, I definitely think it evolved. Like I still have all my old pictures from back then, so like, Looking, looking at where I was then and where I am now is definitely, you know, more refined and everything now. I think that is like just I've just continued to build upon the same foundation that I started back then. So like the look of everything back then, you know, I don't think that it's like vastly different. I still have shots that I use from back then that I think are cool, you know, so I don't think it's like such a huge leap. But I would say, like, the t the amount of tools in my bag have changed. You know, my understanding for how light works ha has changed. And, like, the things that I'm willing to try or think about from the very beginning as something that's going to work have changed, you know. So I would say that, that it's been an evolution from that standpoint, from a technical standpoint. And then how it continues to to grow is just through me just living life and seeing more stuff. You know, like I still admire a lot of other photographers and still pay attention to what a select group of, of them are doing. And so when I see something that's dope, then I always like take parts from different people and try to be like, man, you know what, I'm going to try, you know, something like that. And I try to make it my own thing, you know. It's like making your own mixture. Yeah. <laughs> And so is it just so through living life and looking at other dope people's work, is that what continues to inspire you to continue to grow? Yeah, I think so. I definitely for sure is like continuing to grow uh, through like admiration for others, but then also just like, you know, taking a break and really just loving photography and loving the work. You know, when you take a break, it's like, when you are married or whatever and you haven't seen your wife in three weeks, you know, it looks like you you excited to get back together. You have time to miss miss each other. And so like photography for me is the same way. When I get into when I get burned out and I go do something else for a week or whatever, I have a week break where I just sit photography down. I don't take pictures all the time. You know, I just sit it down, I'm not touching the camera. I do other stuff. I watch some movies. I play around with my DJ and stuff and play some music, listen to some music. 
and just give myself time to recharge and be inspired, you know, and then come back to it, you know, ready to go again. Nice. What's the future for Marcus? Insider photography is hard to say because, like you said, I think I've done a lot. So it's hard to put a finger on what I want to do next. I feel like just continuing to 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 do what I'm doing now, honestly, it would be, you know, would be happiness for me. And just continuing to, like, do it better, I guess, more efficiently, to do it more effortlessly sometimes. I think that those are the things that I'm working on now. It's not so much trying to work with a particular brand or work on a particular type of shoot that I haven't worked on before, because I think I've, I've done all the different things within, you know, sort of like my category of photography that I could do, but it's just about trying to become more and more better at it, more and more sort of like sharp at different parts of it, you know, how to, how to communicate better, maybe how to, how to articulate my ideas better. So that comes down to how to become a better treatment writer or how to put together, you know, my inspiration board or whatever in a better way so that I can better explain my ideas or whatever. You know, it's stuff like that that I just want to become better at. Nice. So before and I just I just want to first thank you for your time and just say, you know, since I've known you, you've always been like just extremely helpful and forthcoming with me and some of my peers on just like how to end the ins and outs of the industry. Like your work, you're one of the people whose work like inspires me. And I feel like I know through our relationship and our friendship, like I've been able to grow as a photographer. And so I just really appreciate that. And I've seen you do that with other people. So like just so very giving of all that you've learned and that you know. And even like taking, I mean, I know taking an hour out of your day to do this is is a lot. Um, so I just want to thank you and tell you I appreciate it. Nah, man. It was a pleasure, man. Uh, for real. It was good. And so my last question is really tied to that is, why do you feel like it's important for you to pour into other people and to be open, like open book? Because, you know, a lot of people, it, it, it's I don't want to say a lot, but there is a faction of people that, especially in photography, they hold everything very close to the vest. Well, one reason is because I wouldn't be where I am if other people that were ahead of me at the time didn't open up the door for me. You know, uh, I talked about two photographers who did a lot for me at a time when I was coming up who hadn't they not done what they did for me. I definitely wouldn't have gotten to where I am now, you know, in at, at least not in the in the time that I did. So, like, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that's one of the one of the biggest reasons I think it's important for me to continue to like give back and like talk to others and sort of like educate uh, whoever I can about the industry. But then also my faith drives me too to just know that like, you know, what's meant for me is meant for me and what's meant for you is, is what's meant for you, you know? And so like, you know, there's no, when you, when you live your life like that, then there's no reason to hide information. There's no reason to keep things, you know, tight, you know, you can, you can divulge certain things and not feel bad about it or feel like, oh man, this is the person that's going to be stealing jobs from me and this and that, you know, no, nah, 
you know, I wholly believe that like I got what's coming to me. So like if it's meant for me, it'll happen. If it's meant for you, it'll happen. And I'm gonna be happy for you. You know, this is not a competition. You know, I'm not in competition. You know, I'm living life in competition with me. You know, I'm not thinking about what Eric, what Eric is doing, you know, not in a negative way. You know, if I'm trying to get up with you and catch up, then this is really truly because I'm just curious and I want to know, you know, how I can help you either by uh, offering some advice or either uh, by just like offering encouragement, you know, so really it come down to those two things. Nice. That's amazing. That is really the best way to live life. Like just understanding like what God has for you, he's got for you and for sure. And to be happy for other people when yeah. when they get what God has for them. Well, I think that's the best way to end this podcast, man. Thank you for joining Creative yeah, Talk. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat. And write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.